This week on Punch Mountain, the next time you get busted by the cops, tell them you're undercover. Because apparently every other criminal is too. Grab a gun and hop on a gurney because we're watching Hard Boiled. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined as always by David Hada. David, how are you? I'm doing well, my partner in crime, or partner in crime fighting. How are you? Ah, David, I'm just busy. You know what I mean? Busy being a gangster. I don't know which me is real. Oh, my God. I'm torn between two jobs that pay very well, I guess, but also require a lot of my time. Good heavens, this movie, Mac. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I was like, you know what? That's a good point. I was like, wait, let's say you are an undercover cop, David, like in the movie Hard Boiled, which we will be discussing tonight. One job, the crime one, I'm sure pays very well. The other job, the cop one, does that pay well? No, I don't imagine it does, which is why you supplement it with the other job. See, if we paid our cops better, they wouldn't (laughs) go into crime that they have to fight. I got to imagine you get a little bit of like a kick in pay if you're an undercover cop. Like maybe that's part of the pitch, like you just said. Like, hey, look, if you stumble across some drug money, it's yours. Or uh, kill anybody you want. There's a lot of that uh, in this movie. Not so much the pocketing of drug money, but the if you're an undercover cop. Any murder is legal. But not to give too much away, Dave. But yes, we are talking about Hard Boiled, directed by John Woo. This will be John Woo's second movie on the mountain. Of course, he had Hard Target, which was episode three. It was very early on. My goodness. Wow. It did not even occur to me that he's got Hard Boiled and Hard Target. He really needs to complete that Hard Trilogy. Have an aging Chow Yun-Fat take on an aging Jean-Claude Van Damme. The obviously... uh, the pun there was something about like, uh, can't get hard anymore. Uh, I was about to say, can't, hard to get up in the morning, but now it takes on a different meaning. Putting on your socks is super hard. I don't know. <laughs> Just look, that's, that's ripped from my real life headlines. But oh man, that's my first punch up right there. Complete the, complete the trilogy. I love it. You are correct, David. This is our second John Woo movie, but this is his first Hong Kong entry into the Punch Mountain. Because, you know, at some point, I think that point was actually after this movie. Famed action director John Woo left Hong Kong to direct a bunch of American movies. And this was the last one that was a um, Hong Kong-based production uh, starring Chow Yun-Fat. Yeah, one of the reasons we're doing it tonight, David, is because we just did a string of episodes uh, uh Punch Mound where the movies, their rankings ended up being like really fattening the middle of the mountain. Yes. And you and I were like, you know what? I'm getting tired of saying these same five movies at the top of the mountain every week. Let's go for some big guns. Let's bring in some mountain slayers. So I would you consider, I mean, Last Jedi ended up being kind of a mountain slayer. But was that a mountain slayer pick or was it just, just a thematic Star Wars pick? It started off as a thematic Star Wars pick, but the more we talked about it, and of course, looking at where it ended up on the mountain, it ended up being a mountain slayer. But that was just a pleasant surprise, really. I mean, it was a nice way to cap off episode 25, but uh, completely by surprise. And yeah, that's the thing, just because we think... Hard-boiled might have a shot at the top, does not guarantee it any kind of spot, and we're going to talk about it. But David, what is your history with this movie? Have you seen it before? I saw it once before. I saw it in 1996, and the only reason I know that off the top of my head is because that's when Hollywood Video opened up in my neighborhood, because no other video store up until that point carried any John Woo movies. I mean, he had been big with Hard Target. I think Broken Arrow had also come out by that point, but nobody was carrying any of his Hong Kong movies. So when Hollywood Video came to town... I loaded up on The Killer and Hard Boiled and A Better Tomorrow, and I was lukewarm on all of them. I don't know what it is about me, you know, not to tip too much, but my experience watching it this time around was completely different 
than my experience watching it that time around. And I was wondering if it had anything to do with watching it on VHS, because I was actually having this conversation uh, or a separate conversation with the bombshell the other day. Uh, she had watched Stargate and she really loved it. And I hadn't seen Stargate since when, since it first came out, also on VHS. I remember that movie being real bland and real drab. And she was like, you were thinking of a different movie. <laughs> I felt the same way about Hard Boiled. I was like, I remember it being kind of slow and kind of boring and not really being impressed by the the stunts or whatever. Oh, Mac. What a stupid teenage boy I was. This movie rules. This is such an awesome movie. I'm so glad you picked it. Congratulations on picking a winner, Mac Blake. What's your history with Hard Boiled? Well, hold on. A lot to unpack there. Uh, first of all, I remember loving Stargate. I remember renting it and watching it. My mom coming downstairs and she's like, uh, what are you watching? I was like, oh, I just finished Stargate. And she's like, oh, okay. You want to watch it again? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, wow. I watched that movie back to back. That's a high compliment for that movie. Which kind of makes me not want to watch it again, because I don't know if it holds up. It's a perfect game. Or if I'll just be waiting for James Spader to be creepier, or wanting him to be. And then also, yeah, you know, there was video stores that my family would frequent. It was not until a blockbuster moved within biking distance of my house, to which all of a sudden, uh, the wide world of anime and R-rated movies was suddenly open to me. <laughs> I remember doing a hard swallow. Yes, I'd like to rent Golgo 13, please. <laughs> oh, the erotic ways of assassin Golgo 13. But yeah, David, here's the thing. I've never seen this movie before. I've never seen Hard Boiled. I've never seen any of John Woo's Hong Kong stuff. I definitely have seen every one of his dumb American movies, though. <laughs> I've seen Paycheck with Ben Affleck and Uma Thurman. And I've seen uh, Wind Talkers, which is a really weird choice for a John Woo movie. But to add insult to injury, David, my older sister, who does not give a shit about action movies, has seen this movie. How does that happen? She had like an arty boyfriend, I think, at some point, maybe. I don't know. But she was like, oh, I watched this movie and it was funny and a baby peed out of fire. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> God damn it. But yeah, uh, this is my first time seeing it and I had a lot of fun and we will get into it. But David, look, before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions about this movie. If you search hard boiled on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, is hard boiled streaming anywhere? Unfortunately not. It was removed by Freebie for being, quote, too good. Mac, what does it mean to be a hard boiled man? Well, David, it means you're tough. And when you uh, come, you, you just boiling water. David, is hard boiled in Chinese? No, hard boiled is in a deadly game of cat and mouse. Mac, what is the movie hard boiled about? David, the movie is about how you should pretty much not go to Hong Kong. Jesus Christ, that blazes a war zone. <laughs> a fifth question here, David. How long is hard boiled movie? Hard-boiled movie is 15 minutes on medium heat. David, before we watch a cop take the law into his own hands, because, hey, why the fuck not? Let's wrap our hands around the neck of unfriendliness and squeeze, because it's a friendship check-in. Our friendship, David, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm taking days off work tomorrow and, uh, and the day after that, Mac, because uh, I want to catch up on emails. The, the, I, I've, the prophecy has been foretold. I, I, I wished for it a few episodes ago. And I'm taking days off, and I'm going to clean inboxes and closets and all sorts of stuff. You know, David, I did the same thing. I took a couple of days off work to catch up, and I did not catch up on a goddamn thing. And <laughs> it's very depressing, and I want to throw my body in a well. One of the things that happened, David, is I had a flat tire on the car, and it was like super flat. To the point where I was like, oh, I got to put on the spare to even drive it to the, the tire place to see if they can fix this tire. And then in loosening the lug nuts, there was one lug nut that just would not loosen. And so I had to call a roadside assistance guy. He, with his like voof, 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 gun, like also could not get that lug nut off. Mm. And he goes, oh, he's like, oh, don't worry, it wasn't you. <laughs> That's nice. That's very reassuring. Which, you know what, I did appreciate because look, I mean, anything around cars is really emasculating. I remember one time I bought a new car battery 
at like some you know place and they'll install it for free and the guy walking out was like you ever put in a car battery before and i was like yes and he's like then why aren't you doing it this time and he goes ah, i'm just joking and i was like Aww. oh geez it's just because i don't fucking want to yeah i didn't bring t- my tools with me and he put it in there but apparently david that tough lug nut the thing it screws onto which is the lug stud mm-hmm. came off in the nut but before he came to the realization that the a lug nut was unturnable at some point i had my you know whatever tire iron there and i was like all right we're gonna do this thing and i was like i'm gonna you know pretend like i'm lifting and i was like i'm gonna brace my core and do all this stuff and i was like pushing down really hard my leg just went like whoop, 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 like turned to rubber and then a part of my back hurt the rest of the day so what i'm trying to say is david the ways that our body is connected is just disgusting i th- when can we get rid of these things i've i've had a pinch under my skull for the past four days that, that's what I'm looking forward to the days off. I'm just like, you know what? If I could just rest long enough for this thing under my skull to go away, I'll be a new man. Because you didn't even hurt your skull, David. You probably hurt like your, your trap on your other side. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, there's something going on somewhere else in my body. I don't care for it, Mac. I want a new one. I'm sick of these bodies. When can we get those fake bodies like in the movie The Surrogates, which I did not see, but I did read the comic which was based on. God damn it. I too was also going to reference Surrogates. You know, I actually started watching the movie Surrogates and then I, I think I got to like, the I don't know some idealized Bruce Willis cyborg and I was like I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got twenty minutes in and I said can't someone else do this for me? Yeah. <laughs> Why isn't there a podcast where two people will be forced to watch it? <laughs> oh fuck, David, that's us. Hey, speaking of oh fuck, you ready to do this thing? Load up your weapons, Mac. We're going in. All right, David. Just a level set for anyone who is not familiar at all with the movie Hard Boiled. Can you give the basic back-of-the-box description? Maybe literally from the back of a box. Yes, Inspector. A roller coaster of excitement. Hard-boiled takes you on the ride of a lifetime. In a ruthless world of gun smugglers and mobsters, Tequila is a die-hard cop who will stop at nothing to see justice done. To avenge his partner's murder, Tequila joins forces with a rebel cop, and then the body count mounts to a hair-raising climax. Hard-boiled marks the return of action master John Woo, hard target for killer, once again, he makes the screen explode with high-voltage energy, where the only thing harder to catch than the criminals is your breath. Oh, shit. Mac, that's going to be my first mark-out moment. God damn. <laughs> 1992, 126 minutes, directed by John Woo, no rating. Whoa, whoever wrote that was, like, pissed that wasn't a quote already on the box. Like, where was Peter Travers on this one? That is solid. I, I really did. I was like, hell yeah. I was so glad I found this back of the box. Yeah, this is good. Uh, what back of the box was this? This is from the American VHS version. What a, what a good description. All right, David, how's this movie start? Mac, we're going to open on a Hong Kong jazz club where police inspector Tequila Yen, played by Chao Yun-Fat, mixes his tequila sodas just as hard as he plays jazz clarinet. Tequila and his partner slash drummer Benny Mac, played by Bowie Lamb, are on the trail of some gun smugglers, and the trail leads them to a tea house where an arms deal is going down. The deal goes bad, and Benny gets killed. Sorry to jump the line there. Yes, Dave, but that line jumping happens in an action set piece we'll call Tea House Shootout. Okay, David, by the way, this Hong Kong Jazz Club, do you remember its name? Uh, I want to say Jazz Club. Oh, very close, David. It is the Jazz Club. Of course, my apologies. <laughs> and here we get a pretty cool character intro to Tequila. What is he doing when we first meet him? So we see a, a close-up on a glass. We see some liquor being poured into it, splashing everywhere. This movie hates liquids. And then we see some Schweppes going in there, some some club soda, and then he puts a napkin on it, slams it down. That's how he mixes his drink. That's hard-boiled, Mac. Damn. Apparently on a commentary track, 
don't know if it was this movie or, or another one, but John Woo says that he remembers drinking tequila in Hong Kong by adding soda, covering it with a napkin, and then slamming the glass down to stir up some bubbles. Quote, unquote, it would make you feel cool and feel like a man. Now, David, the sad thing is that quote is kind of pretty accurate. <laughs> Not that I drink tequila this way, but when we first see our hero, Detective Tequila, he drinks the uh, drink after slamming it down. And then after he stops drinking the drink, he exhales some smoke, I guess, from a cigarette he just previously had. When he did all that, I said out loud, cool. So I don't know if it made him feel cool and felt like a man, but I'll tell you this from an outsider perspective. I was like, oh, cool. That guy's that's a man. It works. I was just so thankful that Hard Boiled never really became like a runaway success in America because, you know, there would have been jackasses trying that at every bar in America and bartenders would have been furious. I mean, I don't know what it tells you about that character because I can see a lot of like shitty people, some shitty like non-tough people who know like drinking and smoking tips. Like if a character knows how to like uh, blow a smoke ring, I'm not instantly like, oh shit, this guy's a man of action, right? Uh Wait, or am I? I'm easily impressed. Well, I think there's actually a callback, if I'm not mistaken, I might actually be making this up now that I think about it. But I feel like there's a moment later at the police station where he does the same move with his Alka-Seltzer. And I thought I was more impressed by that. I was like, oh, he is hard boiled because he, he treats his Alka-Seltzer the same way. But after we spend some time in the jazz club, we're going to get a little exposition. We're going to get some newspaper headlines. Uh, we're going to see one about a police raid. We're going to see one about some guns. So we kind of have to do the math on that and say police plus guns equals this is going to be about gun smuggling. That's really all the exposition we need about this. And then from there, we're going to go, we're going to follow Tequila and his partner, Benny, who was the drummer. Uh, I thought they had a rapport early on, so it was good to know that they're actually police partners. But they're on their way to their assignment. They're headed to the tea house because they know uh, an arms deal is going down. And while they're walking there, they're just having small talk, dialogue. But Tequila asks Benny, he's like, hey, Benny, your wife doesn't worry about your dangerous job. I'm like, Tequila, what are you doing? Because, of course, Benny's like, oh, my job's not so dangerous and... We're going to grow old and have kids. And I was like, I guess we won't be seeing Benny for much longer. Yeah, this did feel like the origin of the McBain scene in The Simpsons where his uh, partner, Scoey, <laughs> was like, here's this boat. It's called the Live Forever. Like he had a day away from retirement yeah. and he ends up doing the machine gun shimmy. Spoiler alert. Spurler alert, David. <laughs> Benny does get killed, what you just already said. Yeah, so it is. it is very similar. Like, Here's all my plans for the future. Nothing can derail me. Begada, degada, degada, degada. Those are machine gun bullets, David. Oh, I thought he was hitting the speed bag. <laughs> no, speed bag was hitting him. And by speed bag, I mean bullets. But this is going to be that kind of a movie. Like, there's a few moments early on within the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie where you could either choose to roll your eyes at it or you could choose to embrace it. And if you choose to embrace it, you're going to be rewarded. Now, David, I've been to exactly zero Hong Kong tea houses, but there was something that struck me as weird about this one. Do you have any similar thoughts? Uh, is this going to be about the birds that are used? What the fuck was up with the birds? Everyone at this fucking tea house had a caged bird with them. Handed a bird upon entry, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I thought it was uh, similar to like the Poncho's flag, where if you wanted more sopapillas, you would just let your bird go. I think I literally typed into Google, movie hard-boiled, What's up with the birds? <laughs> and the answer that I found was, classic tea houses in Hong Kong offer a place where the city's older populace can escape their tiny apartments, drink tea, eat dim sum, and let their pet birds socialize. So Dave, this is like a dog park, but for bird owners. Cities are terrible places and we should not live in them. 
Uh, the tea house in the film is now unfortunately defunct, but a few others of its type still exist on the fringes of the city. Oh, the fringes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like an old, old underground Hong Kong kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I was there with you. It seemed like people were being handed birds, but I guess other people, they just wanted to, this is like, a, this is a thing of this tea house. Yeah, it's BYOB. So they do. That's right. Bird your own booze. <laughs> Check ass. Bird your own bring? No, booze your own bird. There it is. That's the one. Thank okay. you. But some people are using these for nefarious reasons. They're smuggling guns inside the cages. Tequila and Benny are hanging out. You know, they're having small talk. You know, more Benny's going to live forever talk. And then they see the bad guys, the arms dealers, walk into the tea house. So it's time to punch in. They switch their conversation up. They've got a mirror focused on the deal going on. The deal goes bad. Guns come out. And it is off to the gunfire races, Mac. Hell yeah, man. This fight is awesome. The cops, unfortunately, they brought pistols to an Uzi fight because one of these bad dudes has got an Uzi and he's just like, he's killing a lot of cops this scene. The, the police uh, body count as well as a criminal body count, pretty high. I've got a drinking game for anybody listening to this. Anytime I use the expression mowing down because there are groups of people, clusters of people throughout this movie who just straight up get mowed down. The, the semi-automatic work in this movie is exceptional. There's a there's a shot early on in this tea house sequence. They're basically following gunfire down the aisle and they're just mowing down people who work at the restaurant. It's just one body after another falling to either side. It, the body count on this movie is going to be huge. Yeah, David, a lot of fun action here. We see a lot of cool, you know, John Woo style flourishes. The thing that is crazy is that one of the things that John Woo is known for are pigeons or other kind of birds. I think, is it primarily pigeons? Doves, yeah, yeah. Yeah, doves, excuse me. Uh, flying into frame or like past characters or, or, or what have you. Like, I think there's a scene, maybe it's Mission Impossible 2, where like Tom Cruise like walks past a burning doorway and doves go past him. I might be misremembering that. Maybe that's just what I wanted it to be. Uh-huh. But as soon as they go into this tea house with all these birds, I was like, oh, you know, please, whatever. Come on, John Woo, don't, don't make it that easy for yourself. But then there was no, like John Woo style bird shots. That's like, you know, uh, like if Quentin Tarantino said a movie in like a nail salon where everyone's getting like their, their petties and like no, nobody sucks a foot. That was just like a stunning amount of restraint from John Woo. At some point, Benny gets shot and he does like the full on machine gun shimmy, like standing up, just like dancing. He's getting riddled so hard with, with bullets. Yeah, he, he gets, again, mowed down. Nobody runs out of ammo in this movie. There are endless clips. Like, this is the movie telling you it's going to be that kind of movie. If if you're a stickler for people running out of ammo, then go find another movie. And even though there are a bunch of bad guys, there's the main bad guy of the fight, and he is the dude with an Uzi, and he's mowing down so many people. And I think he's the one that gets the kill shot on Benny, hmm. Tequila's partner. But Tequila's not going to have that, and so this... And so the Uzi guy escapes like downstairs and Tequila pursues. That's right. This is going to be the iconic moment where he's dodging a bullet. You know, he's dodging gunfire. So he's leaning on the rail, but he's also running down the stairs while shooting both guns. This is iconic. I didn't quite mark out. I I, I don't know. I just felt too early in the movie, maybe. Or I just I was a little underwhelmed by it. But there's it's undeniably awesome. It's so stinking cool. Yeah, it was super cool. I also did not mark out there, but I marked out moments later. Because in pursuit of the bad guy, because this is like in a kitchen, right? Tequila runs like through some flour. And when he catches the bad guy and lands on like next to him, he is covered in flour. And so basically he looks like a ghost. Mm -hmm. And he shoots the bad guy pretty much point blank. And so like blood splatters over him. And I've marked out of that, David. That was my first markout moment of that ghost kill. 
This is also going to be my first mark out moment. I, I, I just said, it, I was like, maybe it's too soon. No, no. It just took this. It was beautiful, Mac. It was really an excellent shot. If you say he got covered in flour, just so when the red blood splatter on his face, it stood out more. I would say, yeah, whatever, genius. <laughs> Fucking rules. Uh, that's, that shot was awesome. Yeah. A, a well-earned markout moment. Yes. Uh, but then Tequila's boss, Superintendent Pang, played by Philip Chan, is going to arrive, and he's going to give Tequila an earful because Tequila killed one of Pang's key witnesses in the arms smuggling case. Now where will the police get that kind of inside information? Meanwhile, let's also meet Alan, played by Tony Leung, an assassin for the triad on his way to take out an employee who betrayed his boss, Uncle Hoy, played by Hoi San Kwan. Alan kills the traitor, but leaves too many clues behind for the cunning tequila. David, there's a bunch of people in this movie I looked up because I was like, oh, I think I've seen this guy before. Philip Chan, who played Superintendent Pang, I definitely have seen that guy before. And I was like, wait, was he the Hong Kong police captain that Forrest Whitaker and his partner dealt with in the movie Bloodsport? And yes, he was. No way! But David, here we get the first instance of one of the real villains of this movie, and that is police mismanagement. Superintendent Pang, he's running a bunch of undercovers, right? And he's got this, like, go-go detective who likes to go-go and murder people in tequila. Like in the movie The Departed, the reason why Martin Sheen did not tell the other cops about his undercover guy, Leonardo DiCaprio, is because the other cops were crooked, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of traitors in the other police. But here we, we see that there are no other traitors in the police department. Superintendent Peng, because he just killed a million people, should probably trust tequila. But the fact that he does not trust, he's like, oh, do you think tequila might be dirty? Tell him who the UCs are, you piece of shit. There's a lot of cop blood on Superintendent Peng's hand. He's uh, my LVP, this movie, least valuable player. I'll say it straight up, Peng sucks. Because even even our introduction to him, you know, tequila is mourning the loss of his partner. He's literally standing over Benny's body. And Peng's here is just... Ah, you killed my witness. You couldn't have even, you couldn't have done this any other way. And it's like, hey man, a little sympathy. But like you said, I I think he just gets off on being duplicitous because he's got so many undercover operations. They're falling on top of each other. This is, this is not a very well-run police department. Yeah, this police department sucks shit. (laughs) In fact, it sucks so much shit that Tequila needs to go consult with an old mentor, an old ex-cop. Just to, you know, just to talk things through and get a little bit of um, get a little wisdom and a little bit of perspective on things. And so he goes back to the jazz club where the bartender there is his ex-cop and is, uh, is also sort of Tequila's mentor. David, did you recognize this actor? I thought I did. I looked it up and confirmed my suspicions. Mac, Mr. Wu is going to be played by John Wu. Yes, John Wu himself. Apparently there's some scenes that got cut out of the movie that showed more about Tequila's character. And Chow Yun-Fat was like, well, fuck, now my character doesn't have any like character moments. Tell you what, let's have a scene where he, I'll write in a scene where he talks with a mentor. And how about if that mentor is played by you, John Woo? Because then John Woo won't cut those scenes. <laughs> so this, these scenes are supposed to be like where you really kind of dig into his character. I don't know if I got that from this movie, but I might not have been paying as close attention because I just was like, hey, it's John Woo. That's cool. It's John Woo, everybody. <laughs> I didn't mind it because there's some lines here that Woo has where he's just sort of setting the stage for for the world that we're living in right now where he's like you've changed you used to be so soft and gentle but and and look at you you're hard now but they're even harder so like it's helpful uh i i see the need for it in the movie but from the jazz club and the conversation with mr Wu, we're gonna follow alan we're gonna meet him he's in a zippy little roadster Uh, he's on his way to the library and uh, on his way we are listening to some passenger 57 level jazz mac it is in your ears yeah david this is a full-on jazz cut 
to a fun little car ride and we get to this library where some mustachioed nerd is reading a book. Ooh, something about this guy makes me think he's a rat. Well, good news. We exterminate rats because Alan is here to check out a book on Shakespeare and open it up and there's a gun in there, Mac. Oh my God. He's going to use that gun to assassinate this guy. Uh, he's going to leave the book there on the table. It's going to, the blood's going to pool around it in a cool little way. And he's going to take the book and put it back on the shelf and, and leave. Mac, what, how do you feel about this uh, this assassination? Well, it's funny because later on we find out that Alan is another undercover cop. But it just seemed like he was leaving so many clues that I wrote. <laughs> like the fact that he puts the book back, I was like, hey, maybe don't touch the evidence, stupid. That was like, well, of course he was leaving evidence. But also, if you're an undercover cop, this was a straight on assassination, David. This was not a killer be killed. Undercover cops have a lot of leeway in Hong Kong, or at least they did, I guess. Where it's like, you're undercover. You got to be a criminal. Do whatever it takes. I don't care. No limits. Like, it's just, it seems like he maybe shouldn't have done this. But David, one thing I appreciate about this scene is when uh, Alan, who at this moment, again, we just think is a triad assassin. Mm -hmm. When he shoots this dude, an appropriate amount of blood pours out of this guy. David, I unfortunately watched that tape where that mayor or politician blew his head off. You know what I'm talking about? Bud Dwyer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was terrible. One of the things that stunned me about it was just how much blood poured out of the human head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not a small amount. And the wave of blood that comes out of this guy's head, I mean, they, they wanted it to cover the table so they could set up their little, like, you know, like, hey, this blood is in the shape of a book. I wonder if a book was here. I want to set that moment up. At the same time, I mean, it's a weird thing to say. I appreciated the appropriate amount of blood, but David, I did. What does that say about me? I don't know and I don't care. Well, especially coming off of Yes, Madam, where he takes a gun to the face and there's not even a drop of blood coming out of the back. Like, I was glad in a weird way. It does feel weird to say that out loud. But yeah, I was kind of glad about the, the amount of blood. Yeah. But Alan takes the book, like I said, you know, takes it out of the blood pool and puts it back in the in the shelves. And here comes Tequila eating a filet of fish. Uh, again, this is going to be one of those clues. The movie's telling you what kind of movie it, it is. Tequila's going to show up eating a filet of fish to this crime scene. I loved it so much. And he's going to take a look at the, the pool of blood. There's a book-shaped piece missing. Mac, we talked about it a few weeks ago with Birds of Prey, where Rosie Perez was doing some Batman 66 levels of sleuthing and figuring out mm -hmm. uh, Harley Quinn's role in the blow in the explosion. This is like some Mr. Brooks levels of sleuthing. I don't know if you remember in Mr. Brooks, the part where Demi Moore is investigating a crime scene and she sees these curtains and she's like, these curtains are closed. That must mean they were open. This is somewhere in that ballpark, Mac. David, if you're referring to the Kevin Costner as a serial killer where his inner voice is played by William Hurt movie, Mr. Brooks, yes, David, I'm quite familiar with that film. <laughs> but yeah, this is like the opposite of the Rosie Perez thing where she happily connects all these dots in like a dumb but completely accurate way. This was uh, this is like the villain who oddly sets up all these like super obvious clues in a really stupid <laughs> way. But yes, Tequila finds the book that fits. He magically finds it. And sure enough, it's got the fucking murder weapon inside. I don't know why he left it there. Other than, oh, I guess he's an undercover cop who is doing what at this point? Tipping Inspector Peng that he's guilty? Like, hey, Peng, here's a clue to find the killer. Oh, fuck, it was me. I don't, again, I feel like in order to catch criminals, you, you can't become one. Oh, is that the tagline for this movie? Oh, there has to be an analytics person or some an essayist who has done a deep dive into what percentage of the murders in this movie are done by cops? Yeah, a bunch. Yeah. But David, back at the police station, we learn more about that dead guy in the library and his history of arm smuggling. We also meet Madame Teresa Chang, played by Teresa Mo, a fellow inspector and Tequila's ex-girlfriend. What? 
But David, who keeps sending Teresa flowers? And what are the secrets of these flowers? Ooh, very mysterious indeed. I I, I like this device, Mac. I, I I'm sure it's hack in some other action movies, but sending the codes through the flowers, I loved it. Yeah, David, so she gets flowers. Yeah, real, real nice. And she yeah, puts them on her desk, but she pulls out the card. And on the card, there are uh, lyrics to a song. Teresa calls in Tequila, and she's like, hey, give me the tune for these lyrics. He gives her the tune, and she's like, do re mi fa so, and then writes down the notes. And those notes tie into numbers and those numbers tie into words. And that is how this undercover operative is getting messages to the police, which David, (laughs) it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fucking work. The only problem though is the undercover operative, you know, he's doing this. So he's trying to, you know, uh, be very clandestine with the Mm. fact that he's communicating with the police. However, he still is ordering flowers and having them sent to the police. That's not suspicious. By the bushel fool. Like, in fact, later on in the movie, he's like on his way to another crime. He's like, hey, could you pull over for a minute? I got to buy more flowers. Like, this is a habit that is very noticeable. Like the other villains are like, oh, he's buying a bunch of flowers. Yes, he's one of us, a criminal. Where is he <laughs> sending him to? The police station. Classic criminal move. <laughs> he's playing oh, with song lyrics. A cat and mouse game if I've ever seen one. Those cops got to be shaking in their boots at all those flowers. But yeah, but here I think Tequila refers to Madame Chang, Teresa, as his girl. And I, I couldn't get their relationship here, but I, I guess she is his actual girlfriend. She's his ex because at the end of the scene, she hands him a package of his underwear and she's like, you left your underwear at my place, that kind of thing. So they're on the outs. In fact, he even prays to a little uh, shrine that they have in the precinct. He's like, my love life is on the rocks. I need your help. That's funny because I, my research showed that that a deity was the god of war. So, uh, <laughs> ugh, so things aren't going too well at the tequila house. But yeah, so I, you know, I kind of figured they were on the outs, but like, there's no chemistry here. They do develop it over time. There, you know, there's a charming rapport, but like, I was undersold on their chemistry. Uh, yeah, David, I also did not know what to make of it because I've seen too many movies where you know dudes flirting with women where it was unwanted. And so I did not necessarily know what to make of this. But yeah, I guess if they recently had a breakup, it wasn't anything untoward. But I, I still was not sure of their relationship. But I guess ex-girlfriend, there we go. We've established it. I can die in peace. I mean, move forward. I guess, I, you know, ideally you want Tequila to be jealous of the flowers. And he says as much, but I don't get the sense that he feels as much. It's that kind of disconnect. But let's go somewhere else. Uh, let's follow Alan. He's going to meet with Uncle Hoy, a man who is as evil as he is concerned about nutrition. Alan implores Hoy to call it a career and retire to Hawaii, but Hoy decides to die in Hong Kong whenever that may be. Wink, wink. Alan and Hoy's meeting is interrupted by Foxy, played by Wei Tung, another one of Hoy's employees who may not be what he seems. Foxy takes Alan to meet with rival crime boss Johnny Wong, played by Anthony Chow Sang Wong, who tries recruiting Alan to work for him instead. But Alan will stay faithful to Hoy as long as Hoy is alive. Wink, wink, wink. Why are so many people winking? And why do I see uh, the grim specter of death hovering just above Uncle Hoy? <laughs> oh, he loves telegraphing it back. This, this movie has no problem telegraphing its intentions. Yeah, so Alan here gets pitched hard by rival crime boss Johnny Wong. But before that, what do you make of Uncle Hoy and the Hoy Boys? I always like it when crime bosses are presented in like a gentle way. Like we, we open with Hoy. He's sitting outside in some garden. He's peeling apples and he's like imploring his nephews. He's like, come eat. Like you need to take care of your bodies. You need good nutrition. And then like Alan shows up and he's like, I brought a gift of beef jerky. And I'm like, what the hell is going on at this place? Yeah. Uncle Hoy, in terms of uh, criminals with criminal empires, 
seems like the good one. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, ah, he likes his nephews. Sure, he smuggles guns and probably murders a bunch of people. And he just had Alan kill somebody. But it's a family operation. Probably the cops shouldn't murder him. I don't know. He's a mom and pop gun runner. Real small town vibe to this big city uh, crime boss. I like him. I do too, but he sees the end is near. He's talking in very prophetic terms with Alan, and then Foxy shows up, and Hoy's like, hey, keep your eye on this, Foxy. There's there's something up with him, and I don't know what Hoy knows, but he's very good at his job. Yep, and so Alan meets with Johnny, and Johnny's like, hey, Alan, <laughs> you found my informant. You killed him, the guy in the library who was working for me. That's right, he betrayed uh, you guys to me, and I gotta say, uh, I'm not mad. I'm impressed. You killed him real good. You should work for me. Let me kill your uncle for you or something like that. <laughs> He's pitching him pretty hard here. Pitching him pretty hard. And his logic is flawless because he even says to Alan, he's like, well, you killed Jimmy and Jimmy brought in a lot of business and you wasted him with one bullet. I'd really like to replace Jimmy with you. It's like, that's a YP, man, not an MP. I, I don't care what you do to replace Jimmy, but it ain't going to be me. You know, the kind of thing where like uh, you think, oh, Alan was probably going to shoot this guy in a second. It, it did not seem like a successful pitch. But later on, he keeps pitching this idea, and Alan never fights back against it. No, I think Alan kind of ends up in the deal. Uh, but David, after this pitch meeting, Johnny and his crew go back to their car. But his car, David, the windows of it are covered in newspapers. Now, I cannot read these newspapers because they're, they're written in Chinese. But I assume they say something like, uh, Johnny sucks. And they're like super mad, like, who did this? Get those newspapers off my car. But David, who did do it? That's going to be tequila. He comes out of the bushes. He ambushes Wong. He lets Wong know, hey, I'm coming for you. Uh, I'm on to you, you creep. You killed my partner. I'm going to get you. Uh, yeah, a little preemptive violence here, David. He's really beating the shit out of, out of Johnny. But Alan comes up, and he nails Tequila right in the head. But David, here's the thing. I, we talked about the musical code, but I don't, I don't think we said what the code was. That's right, Mac. Yeah, it said, you know, uh, when Peng finally decoded it, it said, Lion near trap, stop investigate. So uh, what, what, what does that mean, Mac? Well, that means that tequila is too close to uh, ruining this undercover operation that Peng has going. And, and, and Peng tells tequila to back off, but tequila is not backing off. In fact, he is preemptively, uh, you know, physically assaulting the bad guys, which, I, look, in my book, great move. Oh, it's a badass move. But uh, again... This police force is stepping all over itself. We don't know that yet, but uh, once you do know it, it's a little embarrassing. But the bad guys depart, but here's the problem now, David, is that tequila is now definitely on Wong's radar. Oh, absolutely. So you got to figure he's all stressed out. So he's going to unwind with a little fishing afternoon where he meets up with Foxy. Turns out Foxy is a police informant, and he's got news about Wong's plan to muscle in on Hoy's business. Tequila tells his men to gear up, but Teresa gets another bouquet of flowers, and Pang gets another coded message. Tell Tequila to back off. So Foxy, okay, he's a, he's an informant. All right, so let's let's set up a chart of everybody who is an actual criminal and everybody who actually secretly works for the police. I think we're pulling even at this point. Yeah, so Foxy is in Hoy's gang, but somehow Foxy knows that a raid is going down tonight. That's the information he gives Tequila. He's like, Johnny's gang is raiding Uncle Hoy's warehouse tonight. But he's, and, and Tequila's like, hey, thanks. By the way, Foxy, I set up your mom in that old folks home. You should go visit her sometime. And Foxy's like, I will, you know, once things are done and everything's great and I'm totally going to live forever. Oh, no, Foxy. <laughs> oh, don't think like that. I've never been more motivated to write an action movie that is just chock-a-bock with everybody's future plans and just watch them one by one <laughs> fall to the wayside. Yes, David, that movie would be called Tomorrow Always Dies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> Mail it to yourself. But yes, 
Alan has to send another code, so he buys more flowers. And here in my notes, I wrote down, flowers every time, send a code. Okay, my notes are not <laughs> written in exactly the, the best uh, uh, grammar there, but he's got to send a book. That's an expensive code, man. Well, I think that the, the communications are picking up because, I mean, you know, without Tequila's involvement, what does this informant really have to say? Just all's going well to check in next week. But like, golly, Tequila's really persistent. I'm going to have to keep sending flowers. That's frustrating. Yeah. So Pang is yelling at Tequila, telling him to back off. And at some point he says, you know, that's a fucking order. But for some reason, fucking order is in English. There's a few phrases in this exchange. I, I shut up was the first time I was like, hey, I know some Chinese. All right. Yeah, that was interesting. I don't have any sort of uh, comment on that other than like, okay, hmm, interesting. Again, that feels like a remnant of 80s action movies where it's like, oh, I learned certain words from them. Like, fuck off and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe fucking order was like a huge catchphrase. <laughs> like, oh, did you hear when the one cop said that in the one movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. That's their uh, somebody stop me from the mask. How that phrase <laughs> took over our country, David. Do you remember that? Fucking order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but this this police force knows all about 80s tough talk. So Pang gets another coded message. This one says, uh, don't ever bite your own tail again. And so Pang's like, I get it. I need to tell Tequila to cool his jets. But this is coming at like the worst time. So Tequila responds with, you know what? You're really just full of shit. There's the John, Okay. Oh, Mac, that's brilliant. These coded messages are kind of like tarot readings where it could be bad. You know, it really is is open to interpretation. Oh, absolutely. Hmm, the death card could mean death of a bad habit. Could mean death of an older self. Well, my cousin just died. Oh, okay, it could mean also your cousin died. But David Wong is still trying to recruit Alan. Oh, my God. He's going to make one more attempt to recruit Alan with a simple pitch. Wong's going to eliminate Hoi anyway, so Alan can either be on board or be in the way. So Alan gets on board. Wong and his men, led by the ultra-tough Mad Dog, played by Philip Chung Fung Hwok, <laughs> raid Hoi's operation. Hoi and his men arrive just in time to be eliminated. Then Tequila and his team drop in to do some eliminating of their own. Alan kills Hoi and his men and has a chance to kill Tequila, but opts to escape instead. What is his deal, Mac? David, you said Tequila and his team. I think his team are a bunch of bullets and some guns. I think he goes, I think he's there by himself, isn't he? No, because before Pang tells him to cool his jets, he's like, hey, call the guys to get us kitted up. We're going in tonight. So he's got some guys with him. Oh, okay. He drops in by himself at first, but he's got some other guys with him. Oh, okay. I only remember him. Maybe the other good guys quickly got uh, redshirt murdered here. Yes, David, this is another action set piece, which we'll call Bullet Party at Abandoned Warehouse Number 9. Uh, this is great. Something you'll notice throughout the rest of this movie, the length of the set pieces. They go on a little long, but they don't wear out their welcome. I mean, this thing goes on for several minutes. It's got a few changes of, of the players involved, but golly, I'm into this every step of the way. Yeah, and the pitch that Wong gives to Alan, where he's like, uh, we're going to kill your uncle. Did he give him that pitch in the car? I believe so. Yeah, he was like, I'm going to pick you up. Uh, I'm going to need your help on something. And then on the way there, he's like, look, here's the deal. I mean, at that moment, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, uh, actually, I'm going to fight you. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to murder you. You're in my car. Yeah. But yeah, they get there. First, the Wong gang takes out the Hoi boys. And again, just like you just said, mowing everybody down. Something I love here is that everyone is jump dying. Like, David, if you shot me in this movie, not in real life, there's no way I'm like, you know, like if you shot me in the stomach, I'm not um, like, you know, ooh, like clutching my hands to the wound and then doubling over and dying a slow death. No, if you shoot me, I go flying backwards or flying to the side or my soul is able to detect that there's a sugar glass window next to me and I will throw my body through it. Everyone is jump dying. 
I love it. I love it. But David Mad Dog here. Uh, I looked this dude up and I got this little piece of information. Mad Dog is played by Philip Kwok, who also served as the film's action coordinator. He was an action star in his own right back in the 1970s. John Woo added the character as crime boss Johnny Wong's sidekick because Wong is quote unquote a good actor, but his image is so weak. Now, I think this might be a, a weird translation. I mean, they, he did say that Mad Dog, you know, is a balance to that weakness. Mm-hmm. But I will say that Wong does have kind of like a like a soft handsomeness about him. Like he reminded me like a rom-com guy, mm-hmm. like a Jonathan Silverman from Weekend at oh, Bernie's. sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, again, it's like handsome, like uh, a dude that Jennifer Aniston would date on Friends, but not like a crime boss. Yeah, like at worst, he would play a smarmy district attorney on some hour-long drama, but he's not imposing. He's not villainous. He just kind of plays soft. But so with that in mind, Mad Dog is a perfect compliment to that. Yeah, he definitely is a badass in the scene and does a lot of badass things. The scene is awesome. There are guys leaping into barrels. The physics on that is impossible. It's why I've always wanted that Mythbusters slash Faces of Death crossover so we can finally get to the bottom of what it takes to leap into barrels. The one thing John Woo does really well in this sequence and in this scene is he just takes overhead shots and he just lets the action play out. And it's just all chaos. Everyone's got something to do. It's really great. There's just so much going on. It's it's almost overwhelming, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it really is. And the fact that it lasts so long is is kind of insane. Because uh, once bad guys uh, oozied some of my coworkers, I leave. But it seems like the, the Hoys boys were like leaving in shifts, leaving to get murdered in shifts. Yeah. But at some point, some motorcycle guys come in and they're motorcycling it up. Some of Hoys boys are like in the back of a truck. I don't know if they're trying to get guns out of the back of the truck. Because I mean, ostensibly, that's what's going on here is that this is a like the uh, shipping warehouse for Hoy's gun running business. At one moment, a guy in the back of the truck, a motorcycle revs up and goes into the back of the truck and then moto crushes a dude, David. And I was like, that is awesome. I think I said, wow, out loud. But there's a second guy in the back of the truck who's like just getting off the ground. So after the motorcycle guy moto crushes a dude, he turns around and shoots the guy getting back up. (laughs) And just that one, two punch of like, you moto crunched a dude and you shot this other guy who was already on the ground. I was like, hell yeah. That was another markout moment for me. You had me at moto crunch. That is also going to be a markout moment for me. That guy gets obliterated. I I said out loud, holy shit. Like, there is no more guy anymore. It is. It's so convincing that I still don't know if that was an actual person or just like a quick cut to a dummy. It's so good. There is. I don't know if it's the guy on the ground or the guy gets motor crunched, but there is definitely an obvious dummy in that scene. I think it's the guy on the ground. Like the so while the motor crunch is happening, again, there's a second body on the ground, and I guess they were like, "Hey, other stuntman, uh, you might want to see your family again." So we'll replace you with a bunch of jeans, I guess, we stuff with newspapers because it did not look realistic. Yeah. So, uh, so like the first movement of this sequence ends. So uh, Wong's guys kill Hoy's boys and we're waiting for Hoy and the rest of his men to show up. You kind of get this sort of overview shots of, of the carnage that has happened. You've got a guy hanging from scaffolding. You've got Mad Dog hanging out, like leaning on a car. He lights a cigarette with a giant flame. This is all so Goddamn cool, Mac. Yeah, I wrote down total badass cigarette light. Yeah, the fact that he lit his cigarette with an open fire. So the bad guys all hide, or the other bad guys, Wong's gang, Johnny Wong, and Hoy's boys show up, and they're like, all right, Alan, it's up to you, man. And so Alan is just kind of out there by himself, and so when Hoy shows up, I'm like, oh, here we go. Can Alan do it? Can Alan betray his uncle? Because in my mind, I thought it was going to be Alan was the one to like, you know, uh, this is a setup, and Alan's going to be the one to pull the trap. 
But as the cars are coming in, Mad Dog just boop, 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 lets out a little car grenade and blows up a car. (laughs) And then, yeah, sure enough, turns on his uncle. Alan turns so fast on Uncle Hoy. And I guess at this moment, I did not fully realize he was undercover yet. Did you know at this point? I had an idea. I feel like the movie did this on purpose where it also felt like the audience would have an idea. So let me make this guy do a really terrible thing to dissuade you from the idea that he's an undercover cop. Well, the thing that dissuaded me from him being an undercover cop, again, is the cold-blooded library assassination. It seems a little hardcore for a, uh, a cop, even if they are undercover. At this point, in the subtitles, Uncle Hoy is uh, yelling at um, his men to put his guns down. And he goes, put your effing guns down. And it literally is E-F-F-I-N-G in the subtitles. Why? You know, I wonder if that's why they say fuck in English. I wonder if there's like a censorship thing and that's their way of getting around the censorship. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I thought about that too. Like, is there, does that count as a PG-13 translation? But there are some significant exit wounds in this movie, which you think would cement this movie is, is already, but I do not know. But Uncle Hoy, he's like, look, Alan, I know what's going on here. It's okay, Alan. I want you to shoot me. Because I guess Uncle Hoy quickly accepts his death, and he's like, no, don't let me die from these other people. You shoot me, Alan. And Alan does. The idea here is he's like, let my men go. And uh, Alan's like, hey, Johnny, you, you'll let these other guys go. If we kill Uncle Hoy, you let the Hoy boys go, right? And Johnny's like, that's up to you, man. And then after Alan kills Uncle Hoy, Alan kills the Hoy boys. They sure did not need to die, but he, gun- he oozes them down. Yeah, the movie presents it as though he's so distraught over having to murder Hoy that, hell, in for a penny, in for a pound, let me mow these guys down. But he's an undercover cop, Mac, and he was given the choice to not do this. Yeah, I got the feeling that he was so ashamed at killing Uncle Hoy, he could not stand to live with the shameful looks the Hoy boys would give him. So he'd rather kill them than have them reflect his own guilt. But yes, he's an undercover cop, so what the fuck is he doing? But David, speaking of what the fuck are you doing, Tequila enters by himself. This is a total psycho move because he is severely outgunned and outnumbered. It really is like, what are you doing? I mean, like, look, I understand like he's a hero badass uh, action movie cop, but this is just dumb. I almost wish that was a more obvious element of the movie. I wish there was sort of like a bringing out the dead quality to his job where it's just slowly deteriorating him and he's descending into madness. And again, but but David, undeniable, this action is great. We got some more <laughs> jump dying when everyone gets shot. At some point, the motorcycle dudes come in and they try to kill Tequila. Big mistake. A motorcycle does a jump at Tequila for no reason. I guess the thinking there is like, I know what I'll do. I'll land my motorcycle on top of him. But all he does is basically set the motorcycle up as like fancy skeet shooting because Tequila's like, oh, a motorcycle in the air. And it explodes. It's fucking great. This uh, this part got me because it's a two-part scene. There's the first motorcycle that starts approaching Tequila and Tequila pulls out a shotgun, blows him away. The motorcycle erupts into flames. And I was like, that's pretty cool, but not quite a mark out. And so here comes a motorcycle on a ramp and it goes up in the air. Tequila blows that one out of the sky. And I was like, all right, you earned it. That's going to be another mark out moment for me. Oh, nice. This movie came out in what, 91, 92? 92, yeah. This feels very 80s to me. The main strategy for fighting is just drown your opponent in bullets. Like that kind of Schwarzenegger style action hero where it's just like, if I'm not swinging a sword, I'm using the most ammo, just throwing the most ammo at bad guys. Like seriously, just at some moment, like, you know, Tequila's like crouched down and he's like hiding behind a car 
And the bad guys never stop shooting. It's like, okay, he could be anywhere at any moment. Just paint that side of the building with bullets. It is a feeling I never expected to happen where the most unbelievable parts of an action movie are when they run out of ammo. Like when you hear the click of no bullets, you're like, hold on, what's going on? But for some reason, it starts to get a little smoky in there. And next thing you know, Alan and Tequila are in a classic John Woo trademark, a Mexican standoff where they each have a gun pointed at the other's head. And Tequila, he's fucking going for it. He pulls that trigger, but click, click, no bullets. But Alan does have ammo left. So I guess Alan's about to kill Tequila, but he doesn't. I wrote down, Alan can't kill Tequila. What gives? Because I still haven't figured it out, David. <laughs> but at this moment, I'm like, wait, is he undercover? I, I did start to suspect. I'm This movie, I'm like the perfect audience for it. Because I'm like, what is, what? why did he do that? I'll be honest with you. The, the first time I watched it for the for this episode... By this point in the movie, I'm a little lost to the point of frustration because there's so many people playing both sides. I just, I, I was almost out of it. Yeah, I was also confused about whether or not he had, he being tequila, had bullets in because he opens up the gun and it looks like he's got a full chamber, but I guess those were just the shells. Uh, that's not important. That's just me being stupid. Uh, but David, we cut back to the police station. Yes, tequila is going to ask Pang, who is this dude that could have killed me but didn't? Is he police too? While Foxy confirms Alan's true identity to Tequila, Alan meets with Pang for an update on his ongoing undercover assignment. It's also Alan's birthday, so Pang gives him a used lighter for a present. More LVP talk about uh, Pang, because he's going to get confronted by Tequila. Tequila's going to be like, hey, can you let me in on what's going on? Like, who are the police and who are the thieves? And Pang is going to have this big crybaby speech. How come I've got to answer to you? How come I've got to answer to anybody? Yeah, how come the bad guys can shoot people, but we can't. How come uh, criminals are innocent until proven guilty and not the other way around? <laughs> yeah, so I put in my notes, oh, he turbo sucks. Yeah. <laughs> because at this point, like, screw this guy. But yes, Dave, tempers flare. And Tequila at this point says, you know, he's like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to go on this case on my own or something. And then he says, woe betide anyone who gets in my way. And I wrote down in my notes, woe betide. Starting to think this translation sucks. <laughs> There's no way this character said the Chinese. I mean, maybe, I guess he did. What is the Chinese equivalent of woe betide? I don't know. Yeah, what if that is just a common expression? What if that's just a colloquialism? But Mac, you had one reaction, I had the other. I'm going to start, I have to start incorporating woe betide into my daily lexicon. I guess. I mean, it definitely stood out in the subtitles. But yes, Alan is finally confirmed as an undercover agent. Something else that happens in this movie, David, is Pang and Alan, when they meet, they meet in a very public space. Now. I would have a public meeting if I was worried about uh, some violence breaking out because it's like, oh, surely this guy won't murder me if we're all in a mall. But all of these meetings between cops and their informants have been in the open air where anyone can photograph it. I don't get it. I don't get why they're still sending flowers. If we, if it's so easy for them to meet up anyway, do we really need the flowers? This is why if you're a bad guy organization, you need to have some counterintelligence out there running, you know, investigating your own men to make sure they're they're not uh, stoolies or something, because this, this is uh, too easy to determine that Alan or Foxy are, are snitches. But David, again, look, I'm, what am I trying to do? Understand the criminal mind? It's impossible. You can't, Mac. You'll go the other way. I know. I mean, imagine trying to understand someone like the Joker, David, who, for him, crime is a source of comedy? Ah, I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> but David, here's the thing. When Alan needs to cool off, he, he, he goes on some emotional sailing, because he lives on a boat. Yeah, it's nice to do. Uh, so, you know, he hangs out at the marina. You know, we've seen him before. He makes paper cranes. 
Uh, it's it's a soothing way to relax. So this is where Tequila's going to ambush Alan. He's going to meet him at the marina. He wants answers. Alan's not talking. Meanwhile, what's left of Hoy's men try to get... <clears throat> I'm sorry. Meanwhile, what's left of Hoy's boys try to get their revenge on Alan. But Alan and Tequila are able to take them all. Wong's men approach, so Tequila literally dips out. But this is not the end of Tequila's adventures with Alan. You know, this is this is a fun little sequence where they, you know... If you're going to have a scene where these two characters finally meet and have a showdown... Uh, this is a pretty great way to do it. Alan's hanging out in his boat. He thinks he hears a noise. He wonders what it is. And then you just see Tequila literally flying into the boat. Like he is he is on a wire just being swung in. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> but again, the fact that these two had to meet on their own and then Peng did not introduce them. God damn it, Peng. God damn it. It's also, they're meeting at his boat. So when Hoy's boys show up who happen to know where he lives, it's like, guys, there's no secrecy here. We're, we're all just openly doing this. Yeah. However, if he had posed as a flower delivery man from the police flower company, the Hoy's boys wouldn't have thought twice about it. But Hoy's boys show up. They, they hop on the boat. They shoot down into the boat. Alan takes a back full of buckshot. He's injured. But Alan and Tequila get the best of Hoy's boys. A lot of fun shooting, a lot of sliding around the dock, stuff like that. A lot of, you know, a lot of kids playing pretend. It's really fun. There's a couple moments in this movie where Alan takes some fire. And I'm like, oh, fuck, is Alan seriously hurt? But he, spoiler alert, he never is. Later in the movie, he'll be like, uh, my back. And they're like, Alan, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And he is. He is good. Like, so this is another scene where I was like, oh, fuck, did Alan just get shot? And it's like, yeah, he did maybe, but who cares? There was a moment early in the warehouse showdown where I thought Tequila took out his legs, and I was like, I guess not. Alan has got Wolverine-style healing abilities, but a little slower. But they get the best of Hoy's boys, just as Wong and his men are pulling up. So Tequila's like, hey, how can I stay in touch with you? And Alan's like, I'll send you cranes. There's a big, there's a lot of meaning behind them. And so Tequila's like, all right, I'm out. And he just jumps into the water. Mac, I laughed out loud. This is so great. <laughs> Wong's uh, boys uh, didn't hear the kersploosh of, uh, of tequila going in there. But Wong recognizes that Alan is hurt, and he blames it on Hoy's boys. So Wong takes Alan to the hospital. That's right. He's also going to reveal that Foxy was the one who double-crossed Alan and gave up his location. So Wong vows to get revenge, but Alan offers to take care of it instead. Mad Dog beats the crap out of Foxy, and Alan shoots Foxy, but Foxy survives. And he makes it to the jazz club to tell tequila where Wong is keeping his cache of weapons. In the hospital. Yeah, so Alan is like, no, I'll do it. I'll shoot Foxy. As he's giving Foxy a quick beatdown, he takes the lighter that was presented to him as a gift and he sticks it in Foxy's pocket. And like we've all seen enough action movies, you know when he shoots Foxy, he's going to shoot him right in the lighter, which is an insane level of skill in terms of, you know, <laughs> aiming a weapon. But that's what he does. And so even though Foxy got the shit beat out of him, he does survive because... Uh, the lighter stops the bullet. Uh, setting up the fact that Alan has an amazing aim movie, which is, I guess, maybe the reason why his kill count is uh, triple digits. I mean, here's the thing, though. Don't do me any favors, Alan. If you say you're going to take care of it, take care of it at the beginning. Don't let Mad Dog tune me up for a good 15 minutes before you finally shoot me in the gut. Ah, uh, you were always getting tuned up, Foxy. There was no way out of here without a good tune-up. That's a fair. But we start this whole sequence. Wong reveals to Alan that Foxy is is the double crosser he says the fox has two masters the cops and us he told me about hoy's warehouse and then alan's like hey dipshit you also told him about your weapons cash you're not at all cure you're not at all concerned that this information is going to go to the wrong hands 
Yeah, Johnny's not the neatest crime boss. He's not, he kind of plays things fast and loose. He's not like that uh, wonderful Uncle Hoy, who just seems so nice and sweet. It's a shame to lose him. But Fox even gives it up a little bit before he gets shot in the gut. He, he tells everybody, he's like, hey, man, there's more squealers than members in this gang. And it feels like a throwaway line. But the more times I watch this movie, the more I think about this movie, there might be more squealers than members in this gang. So Foxy, after he gets shot, he makes his way back to the bar where Tequila's talking to his mentor, John Woo. You know, they're like, oh, my God, Foxy, you've been shot. And he's like, the Johnny Wong's arsenal is being kept in Maple Hospital. Ugh. The reveal here that Johnny Wong keeps his, you know, entire like gun supplies, a supply of illegal guns in this hospital is like a, is a big reveal. At this point forward, it's like, oh, this is what we've been looking for all along. But I, I went back and watched the other scenes with Foxy. At no point do they ever say anything about like, we need to find out where Johnny keeps his arsenal. This plot point, this revelation seems to come out of nowhere. It absolutely does. I mean, they're just trying to stop gun smuggling they're not really trying they've never made any sort of overtures of like we need to get this at the root it almost comes as a surprise like oh there's a weapons cache but david back it up big picture here so pang police inspector pang is running an undercover operation and his main operative is alan what is the operation because if the operation is like all right alan we gotta stop this uh this illegal arms trade right so he infiltrates the number one arms trader uncle hoy and then here comes this Johnny guy. And so Alan's like, I'm going to kill Uncle Hoy. That'll consolidate the arms trade under Johnny. That's my new mission here. I mean, it doesn't seem to be a mission of like, we need to find these guys. We need to catch them. We need to buy the book, arrest them, gather evidence. I mean, at this point, he really is just trying to like find out where these dudes are and then we'll just, you know, uh, murder them. It's almost like the police are agents of chaos. Like it. Borderline competition, where they're just trying to infiltrate Wong and his men and Hoi and his boys and destroy them so that they can swoop in and take over the business. Like, there is, you're at number one, and then you kill number one to make number two bigger? I don't understand. I read that the script was being written while they were filming it, because there was a rewrite, and the guy who was doing the rewrite died. Oh, shit. And so he, they're like, oh, I guess we'll finish the rewrite. I will say this movie probably does lose a couple mountain points because of it. Just because the the time I spend being like, wait, what what is going on? Is it is, you know, that that takes me out of it a little bit. Although you have, you know, cops and criminals and then a guy who's both. That's not hard to grasp. And so it doesn't it's not too distracting, but the fact that we just spent the last minute and a half being, you know, like uh, kind of whiteboarding this thing uh figuratively, uh it's not the not the best uh, hard-boiled but Foxy survives, and so he's in the hospital. Tequila arrives at the hospital to check on Foxy. Yeah, he's going to hang out, share a cigarette with him. And then Alan's going to send Tequila a messenger crane as a warning that Wong's men are coming to take care of Foxy. So Tequila moves Foxy out of his room and hides him safely across the hall. But Foxy gets scared and makes a break for it. While Tequila and Alan argue over the whereabouts of the weapons cache, Mad Dog kills Foxy. Oh, uh, R.I.P. Foxy. And this hospital is Maple Hospital which uh, is where this weapons cache is located. But I mean, I don't, I don't see weapons, uh, an arsenal lying around anywhere. So they, they got to figure out where this thing is. Maybe this movie knows something I don't. Why is there a weapons cache in the basement of this hospital? How is there a weapons cache in the basement of this hospital? Well, we find out later that Johnny Wong basically owns this hospital and the hospital security guards are part of Wong's gang. 
So I guess he just was like, no one will look in a hospital. And maybe it just had ample basement room. I don't know why. I mean, I guess so they could blow up a hospital. I, I missed the part that he owned it. That completely explains it. I feel stupid for even taking us on that road. But I mean, I, I don't think he owned it like, you know, oh, at the Johnny Wong Memorial Hospital. I think he just <laughs> under the, uh, off the books owned it or something. Sure. And a bad guy shows up to kill Foxy. And I think Tequila shoots the bad guy. But David, the bad guy shows up with that classic, like, he's carrying a bunch of flowers. I think this is the bad guy. It might have been Alan. It's Alan, I think. Well, because, yeah, that's where they stop to get flowers. And he's like, keep an eye on him. He's buying a lot of flowers. So he shows up and he's got a gun in the flower box. Just like in the movie Terminator 2, when Arnold Schwarzenegger had a box of roses and he was hiding a shotgun. I think we wandered out loud. You know, oh, is this the first instance of this happening in a movie? And then I stumbled across this uh, little write-up here. I think this might have been on IMDb. Using the shotgun in the rose box was an original idea in both this film and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It was a coincidence. They both came up with it at the same time. But David, it was actually used in two influential earlier films, Dog Day Afternoon, 1975. Al Pacino's character does it. And also Stanley Kubrick's film noir classic, The Killing, 1956, where the gang smuggles their heist guns into the track locker room hidden in box of roses. So there you go. Terminator 2 was not the first one to do it. It was a long tradition of... Guns being hidden in roses. If you see anyone walking around with a flower box, go ahead and shoot them or hit them with your car because I guarantee you that box is full of guns. And if it's not, no jury in the world will convict you. Mac, 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 that's too far. At least steal the flowers and steal their wallet so they can't buy more flowers. That is true. That is true. And if you ever use this podcast as evidence, well, I'm going to have some flowers delivered to your home if you catch me drift. <laughs> Mac, 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 again, too much. Just kill them. <laughs> but Alan and Tequila are there to protect Foxy. Meanwhile, here comes Mad Dog. Mad Dog is going to show up and pretend to be police. And he's like, I, I, I'm, I've got some guys watching a witness up there. And I love his little policeman outfit. It's just like plain clothes detective. It's like a members only jacket and a hat you get from a seafood restaurant. I love Mad Dog, Mac. Mad Dog's also got an eye patch now, which I don't remember him getting his eye hurt in the uh, warehouse bullet party, but I guess he did. Neither do I. I wonder if that happened in real life and they were like, ah, no one will care. You know, actually, Alan, the guy who played Alan, uh, Tony Leung, he did get an eye injury and I think he took a day off and then they're like, well, we don't have time. Uh, just do it. Just deal with it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But Alan and Tequila are going to hide Foxy. They think that's going to be the way to do this. And then they're going to get to arguing. Meanwhile, Foxy's going to make a break for it. Mad Dog's going to catch up with him. Mad Dog is dressed in scrubs. He's dressed up like a doctor. He's got a scalpel, slits Foxy's throat. And the next shot you see is, is inside a patient's room or in the hallway or something. Basically, you see the window behind them, and then you just see a blood splatter on the window. God damn it, Mac. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> There's a couple moments like this where someone gets shot through a window and then you just see the window go to like you know spider web and then just like covered in red paint. And yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if the logistics work, but I'm like, oh, that's a lot of blood. He killed that guy good. You know, to top it off, the cherry on top of this is he takes Foxy's body, just dumps it down the laundry. I love Mad Dog. David, I don't want to spoil anything, but that is how my wish to be disposed of in my will is uh, just dump me down a laundry chute and let the the beetles eat eat me to bones down there. Mac, it's why we're friends. I'm going one hand on the collar, one hand on the belt. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. It's the only sensible way to be buried nowadays. And by buried, I, I mean not buried. So Mac, Therese is going to show up and she's going to provide plans for the hospital that confirm a curiously reinforced basement. 
So it's off to the morgue, where Tequila and Alan overtake Wong's men in the morgue and discover the secret passage to an underground weapons bunker. Teresa also calls Pang for backup while she waits for the signal from Tequila to evacuate the patients from the hospital. It is the beginning of our final, our giant, our like nine-part action set piece. An action set piece we'll call The Battle for Maple General, which is the name of the hospital, David. But yeah, a lot of fun action here. When Teresa shows up, Tequila cannot stop flirting with her, which is great, but also uh, stop and just, you know, we're mission-focused here, people. But again, there's like a lot of subterfuge between these two people. Like, I don't know if I can, you know, like a lot of like little secret kind of backwards talk. Shut up. Just get it done. Yeah, I get what you're saying. In fact, this is the only time that I get a sense that there's any chemistry between Tequila and Teresa when you sort of get a sense of jealousy about Alan sending all the flowers and Teresa, you know, finally meeting Alan. That's the only time I got the sense that Tequila was like, hey, wait a second, that's my girl. But we've got so much action left to go with this movie, I do not care. So Peng sucks, but what Peng does not suck at is getting undercover somewhere really fast. Because David, all of a sudden, all of the cops are there and they're all dressed like doctors and nurses. (laughs) And it's like, whoa, you get, whoa, huh? So now the hospital, you know, it's got a lot of bad guys in it, but it has a lot of undercover cops who are ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah, I I laughed out loud at this because Teresa's stalling for time. She's like, oh, I'm sick. I want to see a doctor just so she can kind of hang out and wait for Pang. And it gets to the point where there's nobody else waiting. And she's like, oh, I I guess I'm not sick anymore. And so then a doctor comes over and is like, you know, it'd be good for you. And she's like, will you leave me alone? And she catches herself and it's Pang dressed as a doctor. Like, is this police squad? What are we doing here? It's like Gene Parmesan from... uh... (laughs) But yeah, uh, one of the biggest shocks this movie, David, is she's like, I'm sick. I need to see a doctor. And then like, what, five minutes later, like a doctor will see you now. What the fuck? You didn't have an appointment? You're in a big city uh, hospital emergency room and you get to see a doctor that fast? Put me on a train to Hong Kong because it sounds great. Wait, what happened since then? Hong Kong's under what rule now? Oh, no. So, Mac, we're going to get down to the morgue. We're going to see Tequila wheeling in a gurney. He's trying to disguise himself as another hospital worker. But in this gurney is Alan. He pushes the gurney. Alan pops out, kicks some dude in the head. This is how we start this whole thing off. It's going to start off in an awesome way, and it's going to continue to be awesome until we see credits. Hell yeah, but then Tequila and Alan get trapped in the secret corridor, and they got to MacGyver their way out. That's right. Mad Dog is waiting for them, but escapes once Wong decides to turn on the gas. Teresa finds a rose in her pocket. Wait, David, that's a signal to evacuate. You bet it is. And when Peng gets into a power struggle with a doctor over who has authority, it's Teresa and a pulled fire alarm to the rescue. So, David, at some point when they get stuck here, I don't remember who says it, but someone has a dialogue that says, that's got sweet fuck all to do with you. But again, the subtitles, it says sweet F.A. to do with you. Again, with these weird sort of half-ass censored dialogue. Well, but sweet F.A., is the expression like it's like BFE, I guess, where you know no one actually says the thing and they just say BFE. But I think, like, looking up because I was trying to figure out, I wanted to confirm that FA meant fuck all. So it looks like there was actually a, a band also called Sweet FA. It's just, I guess that's just what they use. I mean, yeah, maybe in the original Chinese dialogue, you know, that character used like a, a half swear and this is the equivalent of it. But I don't know. It was odd. David went to Keelan Allen, get trapped in the corridor. I said out loud, uh, how will bullets solve this problem? Which I, you know, was joking because it just seems like that's what they seem to do is just shoot their way out of and into everything. But David, that's what they did. They're like, okay, we'll just um, put a bullet here in this hole. And I was like, oh, fuck. They literally shot their way out of this uh, trap. It was, uh, it was impressive, I guess. 
It was impressive. It felt like it went on a, long, a little too long, but that also feels like me being picky because it was cool. I don't know. It's a head scratcher compared to the obviously cool action of the rest of the movie. But they finally do get the, the door open after Alan decides, oh, I'll just electrocute myself and short out the door and it'll open up. And there's Mad Dog waiting for them on the other side. He's sort of protecting the weapons cache, I guess. One thing about Mad Dog leading up to this point in the movie is that he is the ultimate bad guy. He's, he is a tough dude, seems unable to miss, but he can't help but miss. And it kind of, it was a little frustrating watching Mad Dog, the villain of this scene, missing Alan and Tequila. I wanted him to be a little more accurate. Yeah, Mad Dog, I don't know if he quite lived up to his potential as like that mid-level boss, but his character is not uninteresting, as we'll find out later. But Tequila's like, look, when I'm going to send you flowers, Teresa. That'll be your signal to evacuate the patients in the hospital. But what he did was he snuck a flower into her pocket, and he's like mentally like, she, she won't find it for another 20 minutes. And sure enough, she finds the flower. She's like, oh, how did this get here? David Blaine, I guess, is on staff. And she's like, we need to evacuate the hospital now. And Peng says that to, you know, the hospital chief. But the hospital chief not having it. But Teresa's like, okay, whatever. Fucking, I'm just going to pull the fire alarm. Now you have to leave. Yeah, it's it's law. Once the fire alarm's pulled, you have to evacuate everyone. So I was like, good for you, Teresa. Yeah, that's awesome. Teresa, lady of action here. I like Teresa. Madam of action. So that's going to descend the hospital into chaos. They're going to try to evacuate everyone. Uh, while that's going on, Tequila and Alan are going to gear up for a big showdown with Wong. They don't have a way out of the bunker, but that's nothing some C4 and a grenade can't fix. The grenade use in this movie, by the way. While Wong prepares to execute patients, a move so villainous even Mad Dog disagrees with it, Tequila and Alan are accosted by one of Wong's hospital guards. The uniformed guard returns with Tequila, but where's Alan? Oh wait, the uniformed guard is Alan! On the floor, cop! He has a Johnny Wong, crime boss Johnny Wong. He's uh, in his little, you know, headquarters room, and he's talking to his men, and he goes, You know what? There's no room for failure, men. The innocent must die. Which is a real like, wait, what? <laughs> kind of moment. Like, what, what's going on here? Which, I, it's sad, but I guess I understand the reasoning. He's like, look, I don't want to lose these guns. We're going to just have to kill everyone. Which, is that the only way to do it? I mean, in Johnny Wong's defense, it's worked so far. I mean, you couldn't have built an escape hatch into this uh, basement bunker. But yeah, he even says it. He When he's talking with Tequila and Alan later on, he's like, these... People don't, they're just things. They're bargaining chips. I'll, I'm going to, they're my leverage. I'm going to keep using my leverage until I run out. So he's a bad dude. All right. But Pang is still getting into it with the hospital chief. Jesus Christ. Pang still sucks. He basically, you know, alpha dogs, the hospital chief. And he's like, if you obstruct me again, I'll castrate you. I'll castrate you. Really? But David, there's a pause there. He says, if you obstruct me again, and then it's like, he's trying to figure out what he'll say. He's like, I'll castrate you. If I was Pang. As soon as I turned around, I'd be like, Castrate? Where did that come from? Yeah. I was at a, a, a show one time, David. Was It was a Bleached, the band Bleached. There was this person trying to start a mosh pit. And it was just, man, it's just not a mosh vibe. You know what? And the way they would do it is, because we were kind of hanging back a little bit, is that they would uh, run into other people, but they would run into other people backwards. Oh. So, and then act like they got pushed. Mm -hmm. So like, I ran into you backwards and be like, hey, man, well, some, some dude pushed me. And that's how, I guess they were trying, I don't know what they were doing. And I was there with uh, my feral wife, who is very feral, but also small. And this person ran backwards into my wife, David, uh, you know, uh, look, I'm not uh, good at fighting at all, but uh, I'm good at getting angry. And so when this person did this, I got, I got right in their face, I go, you touch her again, I'll fucking kill you. 
And then <laughs> a second later, I was like, kill them? What am I? That's not me. How am I going to kill them? What am I going to do? Going to pop my Wolverine claws I don't have? I can relate to Pang making an, an outsized threat that he cannot back up. I will stab you in the temple with your unhinged jaw. What is happening? What did I say? But David, this hospital ward gunfight, I saw on, uh, I think IMDb again, it lasts a whopping 45 minutes. The body count for this entire hospital scene, 230 people. <laughs> Holy, this would be a battle we would talk about today. This would be something we would never forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. This whole sequence is brutal. Like, yeah, I mean that in a very good and fun and cool way. Like, you know, they're they're trying to usher patients down the stairwell and they basically get corralled in the stairwell. And so the guards come out. They're like, you better get back up here. We're going to start mowing you down. And sure enough, they do. Like, people are just falling left and right. This is something else. So people are trying to leave the hospital and then the bad guys start. First of all, the bad guys start killing the patients. I don't. Why? What are the patients going to do? It really is the tactic of stay away or I'll keep killing them, but I'm not stopping killing them. So I'm just going to kill them. And so then the patients, they start to evacuate the hospital and like running away. And then as soon as they get outside, the bad guys mow them down. And the idea is they're trying to tell people to get back in the hospital. It's a weird thing to get shot leaving a hospital. Because then you're like, oh, no, I'm shot trying to leave the hospital. Better get back to the hospital. That's one of those uh, in Russian jokes, I think. Yeah. If. But again, if I saw one person get shot leaving the hospital, I'd stay in the hospital. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's chaos. You can't stay in. You can't go out. The hospital is about to catch on fire here in a little bit. It, it, it's chaos. Crimebuster Annie Wong, he starts like putting a bunch of like explosive around the hospital because I guess he's going to blow it up in theory after he gets his guns out. Is that a concern? In theory, after he gets out, isn't that a concern? I don't know, man. But yes, at some point, one of Johnny Wong's corrupt hospital security guards gets the drop on tequila but the same moment he gets a drop on tequila alan gets the drop on him we hear a gunshot david somebody died in that standoff and then we see a security guard with a gun to the back of the tequila and if you're stupid for a split second you think that <laughs> the security guard killed alan but no david as he said alan killed the security guard i guess he wiped off the blood off the uniform he put it on he comes into a room where Johnny Wong's men have like surrounded a bunch of hospital staff. But in that hospital staff, David, are a bunch of undercover cops who are just like hospital staff. I don't know if they make eye contact or something. When Alan goes on the floor, cop, all the undercover cops, like they know what's going on. They bowling ball over the real patients. Suddenly everyone is on the ground <laughs> except bad guys. And then our heroes go, bep, 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 and just kill all the baddies. They sure do. And this is going to be a mark out moment for me. As preposterous as it was getting to this point where like, Mac, I'm embarrassed to admit I, I pounded on my TV crying at the unceremonious death of Alan. Like we didn't even get to see him die or say goodbye to him. It's just hello tequila. And this, I'm an idiot, Mac. And sure <laughs> enough, it's, it's Alan in disguise. Of course it is. But this is great. I, I thought it was cool. Well, the opposite side of that coin, the one like, uh, oh, if you thought he was, um, if you didn't realize those Alan, you're stupid. It's me going, oh, that's Alan, thinking I'm <laughs> smart <laughs> for figuring it out, which we've already, look, we've already discussed this movie. Uh, I'm stupid. It took me like an extra 30 minutes to realize Alan's in the cover. So I I'm no genius here. But I, I think when they're gearing up at some point, Alan's like, Ugh, and I'm like, oh, Alan's hurt again. No, he's not. Don't worry about it. But Mac, the hospital's falling apart. As the hospital burns, Tequila and Alan play real life Contra through the halls of the hospital. Tequila leaves Alan to help Teresa extract babies from the nursery while Alan faces Mad Dog one-on-one -on -one for a shootout. 
and some window gymnastics. Yeah, when they're evacuating the hospital, there's a, a full nursery, David. These babies, someone needs to think of these babies. And Teresa takes it upon herself to get the babies out. At some point, she's approached by a bad dude, and he says something to her, like, you know, move it or something. And she slaps him across the face. She's like, don't threaten a baby or whatever. She, I don't remember what she says. But it was like, damn, Teresa, the power of babies. Yeah, she was like, you're being too loud. The you know, the babies are sleeping. Don't yeah. yell in front of babies. But that, <laughs> oddly, we'll get a call back later in the movie. Tequila pumps the brakes on murdering people. And he's like, I'll just go casually. You know, not in a hurry at all. Let's go. I'll help you with the babies. The gunfire is too loud for the babies. How do they decide to help the babies deal with the loudness? They grab cotton balls and stuff these little baby ears with cotton. Mac, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen in an action movie. <laughs> it is. The acting of the characters here, again, they don't seem to realize that they're in the middle of a battle. They just are like, oh, look what we're doing. We're putting cotton balls in baby ears. Like, it just seems like they might as well have been, like, overtaken by puppies. Well, but I'll tell you what, Mac. When you see the nursery and you see dozens of cute babies, I know watching this with my girlfriend, The Bombshell, the stakes raised by a factor of a million. Like, once you felt those babies in danger, it was the most stressful movie you'd ever seen. That is true. In fact, David, someone else agrees with you, and that is Mad Dog. When Johnny Wong is saying his uh, plan, he's like, oh, we'll, we'll kill all these patients. Mad Dog is like, hey, why don't we let the patients go, man? Like, you know, we don't, why do we got to kill them? That doesn't make sense. So Mad Dog is not on board with this plan. And David, there's also a kill shot in this movie where Tequila and Alan are, are, are you know, wrecking shop. And this bad guy turns, he's like, huh? And then he gets shot right in the head. And I guess they put a squib behind him because, you know, you see his brains whiz out behind him. And then as soon as his head drops out of frame, the camera pull focuses on a, a security camera right behind him. So you get like this headshot and reveal to a camera. I don't know why, but I thought that shot was awesome. I'm not a big gore guy, but I said out loud, oh shit, because I, I loved it. I don't, I don't get why a headshot to a camera reveal was so cool, but it was. It might just be momentum at this point. Let's talk about this hallway sequence yes. or the hallway sequences, because I'll be honest with you. I don't quite remember the motivations for them getting there, but it's going to be Alan and Tequila. They're basically just kind of clearing out the bad guys from the building. They're going down a hallway. It is mostly one unbroken shot. Yeah. They get into an elevator, one unbroken shot. They get out of the elevator down another hallway, another unbroken shot. I marked out just because of how impressive this whole thing is. The amount of coordination and choreography, you've got to get it right or else you got to reset the whole fucking set. I, I thought this was awesome. What about you, Mac? Yeah, man, me too. It took me a second to realize it was like going to be a, like a long single take scene. And then I you know, rewound it and started it over. But yeah, super ambitious. I mean, when you think about the preparation it, it takes, because there's a, 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 you see the movie Atomic Blonde, which I hope we're going to talk about here one day. Sure. There's this hallway fight scene and they kind of cheat, right? Where like some guy goes in front of the camera and then that's like a secret edit. But if you're fighting with somebody else, you know, like, you know, their distance to you. Like if you're doing some hand-to-hand -hand fighting because you have to interact with them, that doesn't need to necessarily be, uh, you know, perfect timing. Because like, look, if, if I throw a punch at you, <laughs> that is your indication to either, you know, dodge it, block it, or take the hit. But in, in this one, people had to jump out like Hogan's Alley style at like just the right time to get like blown away. And there are a couple moments where people's timing was a little, you know, sort of humorously on the nose or humorously perfect. Man, it, it was awesome. Let me ask you this. I, I think I read somewhere that they did it to break up the monotony, which I would not call the action monotonous, but it was like a preemptive breakup. Because just in case you're getting sick of like, you know, all this gunplay, 
It's like, well, let's mix it up with some, you know, a different kind of uh, angle on it. But David, at, at two different moments, this single take shot switches into slow-mo. And both those moments are when Tequila and Alan cross sides to the other side of the corridor. You know, one's on the left, one's on the right. And then when they cross each other, brrr, slow down for a second and back up. What, what did, did you get anything out of the slow motion cross? I kind of, I wonder why did they do that? I didn't get anything out of it, especially there's one uh, slow motion in particular that's followed with a speed up. It's almost like they were trying to make time. But in doing some work for the movie, I thought, I wondered if it was a way to hide the edits in the unbroken shot because the first time watching the movie, I didn't notice the edit. It wasn't until the second time that I noticed there's a little kind of a jump cut. But by playing with the frames per second, by, you know, by speeding up and slowing it down, you kind of, and especially like there's been freeze frames throughout this movie too, just like inexplicable freeze frames then dissolves. By doing that stuff throughout the movie, you are kind of able to hide what could very easily just come across as a mistake. I did read that at least part of the scene, the unbroken shot, they only did once because of time constraints, which is, you know, fucking super impressive. But at the end of this, a guy pops up who's just kind of standing there waiting to get killed. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you guys dropped the ball choreography-wise. But David, he was not standing there waiting to get killed. The guy was standing there holding up his police badge like, hey, don't shoot me. I'm a cop. But Alan shoots this guy. He kills a cop. He's like, I think I shot a cop. But Tequila's like, you didn't. You didn't shoot a cop. I think I did. And he's like, no, you didn't. Okay. And look, Tequila's just trying to get his head in the game. Because a moment later, he's like, uh, wait, was that guy shot a cop? And <laughs> Tequila's like, yes, definitely. <laughs> There's no time to like mourn anyone, including <laughs> an innocent life you just took. But once this hallway sequence is done, like you said, Tequila's going to go back to Teresa while Alan's going to take on Mad Dog by himself. The nursery is really fun. They're getting babies out of the nursery by sort of scaling them down the side of the building. All the while, Wong's men are still shooting anybody who tries to escape. This is all very thrilling. There's a moment here, you know, you referenced it a moment ago. Teresa slaps the guy. She says, don't yell in front of the babies. And the guy has a moment of retaliation almost. Teresa pulls a gun on him. He pulls a gun on her. Uh, does this feel familiar to you at all, Mac? No. This was in Hard Target? Yeah, this is going to be the callback. Uh, Yancey Butler, she's got a gun to some guy and the guy calls her a bitch. So she slugs him in the gut and kills him. This is going to be the call oh. forward, I guess. This is going to be, you know, predate that by a year. Well, this dude does more than that because she gets a drop on him and he slaps her across the face and he says, fucking bitch. And then she empties her gun into this dude's chest which I gotta like. But first of all, Teresa, just go ahead and shoot him. You don't need to, don't let him slap you first. But look, if a guy's gonna slap you, I mean, I mean, you murder him, you still win. You still win. When Alan and Tequila are like clearing out the bad guys and, you know, the bad guys are like popping up behind a desk. Uh, they get shot and then they go, ooh, and they like fly backwards. But there's one moment where a bad guy jumps out from his hiding place onto the top of a desk and then he like points his gun at the good guys and they shoot him. David, there's no reason for him, this bad particular bad guy, member of Crime Boss Johnny Wong's gang, to jump on the desk other than he was closer to a window. So he like jumps on the desk, he gets shot, and then he goes flying through the window. It really is like, ah, I got the jump on you. I'm going to shoot you. Now I'm standing in front of this giant meat grinder. Oh no, he shot me in the giant meat grinder. Who knew? But it's also one of those things where I couldn't help but think of uh, Dustin's email from from the inventory episode mm -hmm. where he was sort of wondering aloud, hey, why did that guy jump through the window in the raid too? A lot of people make curious decisions in this movie, jumping through windows. I think the answer is just it's just fun to jump through windows, dog. David, it is fun to jump through windows, which is why this was another mark out moment for me. Yeah. This tipped the scales in this scene. I loved it. 
There's a moment where Alan crashes through a window to get the jump on Mad Dog. And as Mad Dog thinks he might get the jump on Alan, oh no, because then Tequila, secondary surge, also jumps through a window to get the jump on Mad Dog. And what does Mad Dog do to escape? He jumps through a window going the opposite way. David, I love this movie. Yeah. Oh my God. The window gymnastics going on in this scene. So great. I mean, I I said it before earlier. There are moments in this movie, the scenes like this, it's just kids playing pretend. It's just kids jumping on gurneys and hospital beds with their finger guns shooting around. This is so fun. It is super fun. But yeah, David, the other cops have shown up, including a, a, a SWAT team, right? And so there's a lot of masked, like, you know, tactical gear out cops, like running into the hospital and they're getting murdered. David, I have to think the reason why these cops are wearing full face masks is so the same stuntman can be killed multiple times in the movie. I'm, it made me think, like, how many times was a single stuntman killed? Like, if he was watching this movie in a theater later, he's like, that was me. Mad Dog kills me there. That's me again. Just like, I'm also that bad guy. They made me comb my hair a different way. I'm that cop. Okay, so let's add something else to the script in addition to everyone spells out their plans for the future. We're just going to have one stunt guy wearing different wigs and outfits. It's just going to be Sven Thorson dying 48 times in our movie. Here's a, I'm going to tip my hand in one of my punch-ups already. I want like a little uh, Saving Private Ryan-style subplot where <laughs> this one mom has got like septuplets <laughs> and they all go into either crime or coppery. And they all die in this uh, <laughs> exchange. But it's all the, it's the same actor the whole time. Yeah, the brother's stuntman. But yeah, you know, they're almost done. They're successfully getting rid of all the babies out of the nursery. Tequila, here's, here's one more baby crying. He's got to go back and save this baby. There's one baby left. You got to get him out of here, Tequila. Got to get him out of here. Swaddles the baby, says, you're coming with me. But here comes some more bad guys. They're shooting at Tequila. Shoot a, tequila gets shot a little bit. Tequila shoots them back. There's some blood splatter that gets on this baby. And, uh, you know, the baby's crying. There's a lot going on. So Tequila's, like, you know, trying to calm this baby. He's singing lullabies while, he, while he's shooting these other baddies. You know, he's you know coaxing a smile out of the baby. He's like, you know, come on, give me a smile. Give me a laugh. And Mac, this baby smiles. And when it does, I marked out again. This is the cutest baby smiling in an action movie. I loved it so much. Yeah, for some reason, when he picks up a baby, he goes into game six mode. <laughs> That's his Popeye spinach, and he starts murdering all these people. But David, when Tequila is shot, and the, the baby's like crying, he's upset this whole time. But when the baby is shot, he gets warm blood splattered on his face, and then the baby is suddenly happy. David, what if this baby now can't go to sleep without a warm blood splatter? Well, you got to figure something else out. You got to buy like a lotion by the tub and just hope that it works. Or you're just, you know, you're, you're buying a lot of rabbits and just like, I got to shoot one in close proximity Jesus. to you every night. I'm not the, Dave, don't get mad at me, David. <laughs> talk to the movie. Talk to the movie, yeah. But Mac, when a group of patients ends up between Alan and Mad Dog, both agree to let the patients go. But Wong disagrees. This is too much for Mad Dog, who shoots Wong in the gut before running out of ammo like nobody else in this movie does. Wong kills Mad Dog and decides to kill everyone else while he's at it. So he tosses some C4 down into the weapons bunker, and the whole hospital goes up in one fireball after another. Tequila is able to escape with the last baby thanks to some helpful water sports, but Wong drags Alan out and wants to humiliate Tequila before killing Alan. Instead, Alan shoots himself in the gut and clears the path for Tequila to take out Wong. Yeah, let's start with Mad Dog, David. He's had enough of Johnny Wong killing people, and he shoots Johnny Wong, but click, 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 doesn't have enough bullets to finish the job. That sucks. I think my punch up for this movie would be give Mad Dog a second gun. 
It is weird that he's the only guy that doesn't have two. Well, he actually has like a machine gun. He's like an M16, like, you know, mega rifle or something. What are your thoughts about, well, first of all, we see Alan and Mad Dog in that standoff. And we said Alan has glass in his face. Oh, this is a tough day for Alan. But Mad Dog, his death here. How do you feel about this? How do I feel about this? It kind of sucks. It kind of, it feels like there was a part of me that wanted him to have a face turn, like a full on face turn. You know, he's reaching the moment where he's like, what I can't stand is I can't stand no more. Uh, I wanted him to live. I wanted him to play a role in the victory for Alan and Tequila. To have this happen kind of sucked. Well, because they're both putting down their weapons. Because both Alan and Mad Dog are like, look, there's a bunch of innocent hospital staff in between us. We're going to let them go. But I also thought at that moment they might be out of ammo and they're about to have a fist fight. And I was like, oh, that's cool. We're going to see some some kick-ass martial arts here. To have Mad Dog, like the the main physical threat from the bad guy, to have him turn on his master and then get killed, it was interesting. I was suddenly interested in his character because he was no longer just like a cardboard cutout bad guy. But because I was denied like a final fight between him and Alan or something. It was a little disappointing in a way. It was not boring though, which I appreciate. Oh no, of course not. But Tequila, by the way, still has his baby and he's like still fighting. Do you still need the baby, Tequila? Like you could have put it down at any point and still still blowing people away here. I, well, I, he's still got to get it out. I think it's his, like you said, I think it's become his totem. I think it's just, it. it's where he derives his powers. But he's trying to escape with his baby. And at some moment, Tequila's legs are on fire. God, could, could this get any worse for him? Yeah, because Wong has decided, I'm, I'm going to blow this place up. So he activates the C4. The hospital's on fire. Tequila catches fire as he's getting ready to leap out of the window. So this kind of stops him as he as he tries to put out the fire. But thankfully, Mac, he's holding on to a baby who has to go. This baby goes pee on his leg, puts out the fire. I marked out again. See, I did not mark out because I knew this was coming because my sister told me. So I was kind of waiting for it the whole time. And in my mind, I, I don't know why, I wanted to see the baby pee like a little Cupid fountain. <laughs> the pee just came from, you know, his jacket, like slid down his waterproof pants. Yeah. It's definitely a funny thing, though, because yeah, at that moment, you're like, he's got a baby. He's getting shot at. The building is exploding. His legs are on fire. That, ah, this is just, it's too much. Well, Mac, this moment saw me coming and it saw the bombshell coming, too, because we're watching this and we see that stain on his legs and we're like, what is this, gasoline? Is this lighter fluid? Like, what could possibly heighten this more? So when it turns out to be pee, I felt like I was in a Mentos commercial. I was just like, oh, what a hearty laugh. But Tequila grabs some wiring, and he uses this wiring, not diehard style, like swinging out of the building. Just give him a little bit of attention there. So his jump out of the window, he doesn't like break his ankles. And so he lands, and he's got this baby. And some parents come up to him, and they go, oh, excuse me, is this my baby? Which, by the way, very polite parents. Uh-huh. If my baby was in a burning hospital and someone came out with a baby, I'd be like, my baby! Just like, is that my baby? But instead, like, oh, excuse me, sir, who just escaped out of the hospital, may I take a look at that baby? Oh, that is mine. What a fantastic day. So the building is, is, is blowing up, but earlier, Alan was like, oh, I'm going to go after Johnny. You get out of here, tequila. So it's like, oh man, did Alan die? Did Johnny die? Because it seemed like Johnny was trying to go down with a ship here. But out comes Alan, but he is being held at gunpoint, gun to his head by crime boss Johnny Wong. Crime boss Johnny Wong, he's he's really just vamping for all he's worth here. And he's like, hey, well, look at this. We're about even. You killed some of mine, I killed some of yours. We're about even? All I see is like 90 cops and no bad guys. And so all the cops lower their guns, except tequila. And we saw tequila 
shoot at a very small place on a wall, right? Because he like to get out of that one corridor, they put a bullet, they put it into the crack in the wall, and they shot that bullet with another bullet. So we know that Tequila's got amazing aim. But uh, he's like, uh, lower your gun, cop. And Tequila does lower his gun. And so now, uh, crime boss Johnny Wong, he's emboldened. He's like, slap yourself, Tequila. Say you're impotent. And Tequila does this. Mm-hmm. He's really just like making him like, uh, you know, just a clown himself, which I don't know where this is going. Like, it's just it was just kind of embarrassing for everybody. You know what I mean? It was sinister at first, but then when he's like, get on your knees, take off your pants, then it was like, all right, let's wrap this up. Yeah. Where's this going? I'll I'll tell you where it's going. I guess Alan and Tequila are telepathically setting up a plan. Hey, I know, Tequila, you've got excellent marksmanship, so let me make this easier for you by shooting myself in the gut and getting out of your way. So yes, Alan reaches up, grabs the gun. He doesn't wrestle it out of Johnny Wong's hand. He shoves it into his own stomach, pulls the trigger. I guess the bullet goes through him into Johnny Wong. Crime boss Johnny Wong is stunned, but then Tequila picks up his handgun and shoots crime boss Johnny Wong straight through his eyeball, David. Straight through his eyeball. It's very clearly a dummy, but I'm a dummy for loving it. This is going to be another mark out moment for me. You know, it was it was telegraphed, like, because they even dissolved to, hey, you remember this moment a while back when he shot that bullet? Keep that in mind. Hey, man, you still shot a guy in the eye. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he turns Johnny Wong into a blood fountain. But David, where was this aim two seconds earlier? I mean, in theory, couldn't he have made this same shot without Alan having to shoot himself in the gut? Or was Alan, like, directly between them? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, if you're so good, if you can shoot a pinpoint, then just use that. Alan could have made this harder. Alan could have been like, hey, let me get in the way. You know, I don't know. It it didn't quite add up. I mean, all you need is just to have Johnny Wong, like, move a little bit, like, never stop moving to be a moving target. And then he stands stock still when he's been shot, which is crazy because... As we all know, when you get shot, you you know you jump backwards as hard as you can. <laughs> but yeah, David, it looks like Alan is dead, and the bad guys are dead. And the I guess that undercover mission was a success because they exposed the what? I don't who? Oh no, things are not great. But I, I guess the the battle is over. Good news, Mac. The police department has secured the weapons contract. They are the number one arms dealer in Hong Kong. So Teresa's going to destroy Alan's file. And now Alan is free to live in Antarctica like he always wanted. Alan releases his crane collection into the water as he sails away. And Pang gets his lighter back. So you see Teresa, Pang, and Tequila. They're all mournfully taking Alan's file and they're lighting it on fire together. They're burning it all together. And I was like, oh, I guess Alan died. And then we see Alan. He's on the boat releasing his cranes in the water. And I go, I guess this is a flashback. I st- For some reason, I didn't get it at first. Like, oh, Alan lived. But then the thing that clued me in, David, is... You know, these, uh, which I mean, I guess I should have already known. But then when we see Alan sailing away, some real funky upbeat music plays. It <laughs> does not play when you're mourning the death of a character. So I was like, oh, wait, this isn't a flashback. This is current. Oh, yeah, look at that. He's got like a, his arm in a sling. It was like, oh, okay, he, he lives. And they're burning his file because I guess he committed a lot of crimes. I don't know. You know, I guess we were kind of robbed of that moment where after Wong gets shot, you have a moment where Tequila and Alan are like, you son of a bitch. Like, I could, have, I could have gone for one of those. As Alan sails in the sunset, so does this episode, because that is the movie Hard Boiled. Hi, right, David, how many markout moments did you have? I'm a little embarrassed to say I had eight markout moments. I'm embarrassed to say I only had three. It seemed like this movie was designed to have me mark out more, but, you know, again, a markout moment does not reflect 
necessarily how I felt about it. David, is this someone's favorite movie? Heck yeah, it is. In fact, I think it should be more people's favorite movie. I think we're we're about due for like a John Woo Hong Kong revival. Like, let's really revisit some of those 80s, 90s action movies. Yeah, you can really see John Woo's influence in like so many different movies these days. You know, if you're going back to the source on some of this gun fu is what it's been called sometimes, you know, John Woo's your guy. Uh, or the heroic bloodshed genre, I guess. I don't really know. Oh, God. What all that, that's something I read. But yeah, I, I feel like Zack Snyder and Michael Bay can be traced directly back to uh, John Woo. And also, you know, uh, we talked about Robert Rodriguez, the good Robert Rodriguez at times. Uh, all right, David, time for some punch-ups. David, we're the ultimate script doctors. Everybody knows that. How would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? First one, I probably should have mentioned this throughout the movie, but there are moments where the music sting sounds like a CD-ROM. It's just like, I don't know, some uh, some public television kind of free music. Let's get a soundtrack. Let's get like a badass soundtrack. Let's get some guitars. Let's get some bass. Let's really just, like, let's punctuate some of these scenes. I alluded to it earlier. You know, I wanted to see a full face turn for Mad Dog. I wanted to see him kind of have enough of the bad guy life and turn into a good guy. I'll take it even a step further. This police station, this police force sucks pretty much. Yeah. It's no good. So I wouldn't have minded if like Alan and Tequila said, nuts to this, we're out of here. Hey, Mad Dog, let's form our own birds of prey. Like our own vigilante crime fighting force. It's just the three of us wrecking shop on everybody. Something like that would have really made me happy. I got three punch-ups here. The first one is... Tequila's motivation this movie he's a cop he's on a case but then his partner gets killed and he blames himself but then we kind of like lose that thread or we don't touch upon it again and then Tequila just seems like you know frustrated by the way the police department works how about a scene where he just like picks up a photo of him and his uh, Benny you know his, his murdered partner and he looks at it and he like mourns or he like picks up the clarinet and he's like I can't play this anymore I need my drummer and then later on at the end of the movie he, he's like I can play jazz again well, actually, I think they cut out a scene where he plays jazz at Benny's funeral, but whatever. Hammer home that connection just so we, we get some motivation, because he's like real jokey right away after the death of his partner. Punch up number two. At the beginning of the movie, we see in the jazz club or in the police station, we see a, a, an old guy with a, with a mustache, you know, like a janitorial type, but he's he's a glass delivery man, right? He works for like Jeremiah's Glass Company. He's like, hey, new windows are here, chief. Later in the movie, after all these windows get destroyed... You know, we see that guy again, and he's so despondent that he kills himself, David. God. Yeah, so real. I think that would really drive home <laughs> the human cost of destroying all these windows. <laughs> really making me feel things. I don't like it. And then the third punch-up, David, is uh, I was just wondering if we get some fucking into this movie. And I think maybe, maybe we have some scenes where, like, Alan and Tequila get along real quick, right? They become fast friends. What if there's more of like a tension and rivalry between them where they don't like each other? But then one night they're talking about what to do. Teresa comes over. Uh, the tequila, soda, and slamming turns into their three bodies slamming, kind of like Zoolander style, even though I don't really like that movie. They suddenly get into like a three-way. And next thing you know, that's how they become a united front. Well, you know, this does take place in Hong Kong, so I don't think uh, the Eiffel Tower will fit in. But uh, yeah, something along those lines. David, this movie's called Hard Boil. Let's boil some of that hardness. What? Does that make sense? I don't know. Uh, but please, let's forget I said anything. And join me in the Punch Mountain video store here. David, we have three copies. We splurged and got three copies of the movie Hard Boiled to stock. Now, David, this, as we all know, is an all-action movie. 
video store. So what subsections of action, what shelves would you put these copies on? The first one's going in Hong Kong action. The second one's going on the John Woo shelf along with Hard Target. Third one's going with crime action. Pretty easy three, I think. So I think we got to find some room in the budget to buy a, a fourth copy because I think Chow Yun Fat definitely deserves his own section. All right, David, now it's time for the hardest boil, which is, ugh. I was about to say the hardest boil to Lance. Oh, no. God. Nobody likes that. This podcast is canceled. <laughs> we have to learn the position of hard boiled on Punch Mountain itself. Of course, Punch Mountain is the definitive ranking of action movies. So, David, just as a reminder, currently the Summit, 1, 2, 3, and 4, we have Terminator 2, Judgment Day, The Raid 2, The Matrix, and Jurassic Park, down at the base of the mountain, Pasture 57, Deadly Prey, and Poseidon Adventure. Our number is 25 through 27. And at the Visitor Center to the mountain, at the family changing area, <laughs> that one bathroom that's like, you know, the family bathroom, it's in between the men's and women's. Sure. That's where you'll find the movie Chappie. So, Dave, before we get word from on high and the, the mountain reveals the actual ranking, where would you rank this movie? Oh, boy. Somewhere near the top. Middle top. Here's the good news. The good news is the action in this movie is awesome, and we do an action movie podcast. Uh, the bad news is, and we've talked about this with several other movies, the connective tissue is kind of flimsy. It's kind of convoluted. It kind of doesn't make sense, and it kind of affects the quality of the movie overall. The good news is, the action in this movie is awesome, and I think those beat the bad parts two to one. Yeah, it's interesting, because if you look at number six on the list, Prey, I was like, well, Prey had amazing action, and I felt those emotional beats at every turn of this movie. I might put Prey above it. But the action in Hard Boil is so good, I would definitely put it above Star Wars Episode Eight: Last <laughs> Jedi. But the problem is, is Star Wars Episode Eight is above Prey. Oh, mountain. I'm glad this is it's not my decision, is what I'm going to say. For sure. Give a look out. Look out for those falling boulders, David. Those, those are the rocks that are falling off the face of the mountain. Oh, the golden letters are appearing, revealing the position of Hard Boiled, and it is number five. So the new ranking is number three, The Matrix, four, Jurassic Park, five, Hard Boiled. Six, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, followed by Prey and RRR. Oh, the top of that mountain. It did not crack the top four, David, but a very respectable showing for a very enjoyable action movie. We're still building a murderer's row at the top of this mountain. I mean, hard-boiled at number five, that's strong. God, but look at hard-boiled at five, hard target at 10. God, I, I need a third John Woo hard movie. I guarantee he does not give a shit about that, but... We'll have to put it on Bicycle Kickstarter. Stupid, stupid idiot. Oh, David, you hear that sound? Oh my God, my birds. No, David, that is not a bird alarm. That is a horn calling us to action because on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes. We also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Inside Books Project. Inside Books Project is an Austin-based community service volunteer organization that sends free books and educational materials to prisoners in Texas. The project works to promote reading, literacy, and education among incarcerated individuals and to educate the general public on issues surrounding mass incarceration. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Inside Books Project. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air because that's what kind of vain dudes we are. For more information on Inside Books Project or to donate money or books directly to them, visit InsideBooksProject.org. Very cool. Folks, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, it's another Mountain Slayer pick. The Mountain Slayer train rolls on. 
from 1994, directed by Jan DeBont. We're doing speed, Mac. Heck yeah. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.